of Human Bondage by William Somerset Maugham. Chapter 29, Segment 1 Winter set in. Weeks went to Berlin to attend the lectures of Paulson, and Hayward began to think of going south. The local theater opened its doors. Philip and Hayward went to it two or three times a week with a praiseworthy intention of improving their German and Philip found it a more diverting manner of perfecting himself in the language than listening to sermons. They found themselves in the midst of a revival of the drama. Several of Ibsen's plays were on the repertory for the winter. Suderman's The Era was then a new play, and on its production in the quiet university town caused the greatest excitement. It was extravagantly praised and bitterly attacked. Other dramatists followed with plays written under the modern influence, and Philip witnessed a series of works in which the vileness of mankind was displayed before him. He had never been to a play in his life till then. Poor touring companies sometimes came to the assembly rooms at Blackstable, but the vicar, partly on account of his profession, partly because he thought it would be vulgar, never went to see them. And the passion of the stage seized him. He felt a thrill the moment he got into the little shabby, ill-lit theater. Soon he came to know the peculiarities of the small company, and by the casting could tell at once what were the characteristics of the persons in the drama. But this made no difference to him. To him it was real life. It was a strange life, dark and tortured, in which men and women showed to remorseless eyes the evil that was in their hearts. A fair face concealed a depraved mind. The virtuous used virtue as a mask to hide their secret vice. The seeming strong fainted within with their weakness. The honest were corrupt. The chaste were lewd. You seemed to dwell in a room where the night before an orgy had taken place. The windows had not been opened in the morning. The air was foul with the dregs of beer and stale smoke and flaring gas. There was no laughter. At most, you sniggered at the hypocrite or the fool. The characters expressed themselves in cruel words that seemed wrung out of their hearts by shame and anguish. End of segment one. Chapter 29, segment two. Philip was carried away by the sordid intensity of it. He seemed to see the world again in another fashion, and this world, too, he was anxious to know. After the play was over, he went to a tavern and sat in the bright warmth with Hayward to eat a sandwich and drink a glass of beer. All round were little groups of students talking and laughing, and here and there was a family, father and mother, a couple of sons and a girl, and sometimes the girl said a sharp thing, and the father leaned back in his chair and laughed, laughed heartily. It was very friendly and innocent. There was a pleasant homeliness in the scene, but for this Philip had no eyes. His thoughts ran on the play he had just come from. "'You do feel it's life, don't you?' he said excitedly. "'You know, I don't think I can stay here much longer. I want to get to London so that I can really begin. I want to have experiences. I'm so tired of preparing for life. I want to live it now.' Sometimes Hayward left Philip to go home by himself. He would never exactly reply to Philip's eager questioning, but with a merry, rather stupid laugh, hinted at a romantic armor. He quoted a few lines of Rossetti, 
and once showed Philip a sonnet in which passion and purple, pessimism and pathos, were packed together on the subject of a young lady called Truda. Howard surrounded his sordid and vulgar little adventures with a glow of poetry, and thought he touched hands with Pericles and Thaddeus because to describe the object of his attentions, he used the word hetera instead of one of those more blunt and apt provided by the English language. Philip, in the daytime, had been led, by curiosity, to pass through the little street near the old bridge, with its neat white houses and green shutters, in which, according to Hayward, the Fraulein Truda lived. But the women, with brutal faces and painted cheeks, who came out of their doors and cried out to him, filled him with fear, and he fled in horror from the rough hands that sought to detain him. He yearned above all things for experience, and felt himself ridiculous because at his age he had not yet enjoyed that which all fiction taught him was the most important thing in life. But he had the unfortunate gift of seeing things as they were, and the reality which was offered him differed too terribly from the ideal of his dreams. End of segment two. Chapter 29, Segment 3 He did not know how wide a country, arid and precipitous, must be crossed before the traveler through life comes to an acceptance of reality. It is an illusion that youth is happy, an illusion of those who have lost it. But the young know they are wretched, for they are full of the truthless ideals which have been instilled into them, and each time they come in contact with the real, they are bruised and wounded. It looks as if they were victims of a conspiracy, for the books they read, ideal by necessity of selection, and the conversation of their elders who look back upon the past through a rosy gaze of forgetfulness, prepare them for an unreal life. They must discover for themselves that all they have read and all they have been told are lies, 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 and each discovery is another nail driven into the body on the cross of life. The strange thing is that each one who has gone through that bitter disillusionment adds to it in his turn, unconsciously, by the power within him which is stronger than himself. The companionship of Hayward was the worst possible thing for Philip. He was a man who saw nothing for himself, but only through a literary atmosphere, and he was dangerous because he had deceived himself into sincerity. He honestly mistook his sensuality for romantic emotion his vacillation for the artistic temperament, and his idleness for philosophic calm. His mind, vulgar in its effort at refinement, saw everything a little larger than life-size, with the outlines blurred and a golden mist of sentimentality. He lied and never knew that he lied, and when it was pointed out to him that he lied, he said that lies were beautiful. He was an idealist. End of segment three.